to us all. Um, perhaps the first one is, Cameron, how are you associated with our church? Um, mainly through Joe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've known Joe for uh, 12, 13 years, something like that, um, many years ago. His family and my family are very close. Um, I, I think even about 10 years ago, I remember that uh, Grizz and Joe had to fly back in to New Zealand uh, for family emergency and and we looked after all of their kids for the week or two weeks that they wow, were over there. So that was... Um, <laughs> not all of them. No, not all of them, <laughs> actually. I've got to say, it, it was only like about three or four of them, so it wasn't, right. <laughs> it wasn't all of them. The easy ones. No. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, next question. What is something you're passionate about? What are you passionate about? Um... I'm passionate about sharing Jesus with uh, young people. Statistics tell us that 90% of people have made a decision to follow Jesus by the age of 18. And so um, whilst we still have somewhat of an ability to speak to young people about Jesus in our schools, um, that's what I want to do. Because I, I was working in a church... And uh, I love that, uh, but not a lot of non-believers come into the church. A lot of Christians and Christian sympathetic people come to the church. Um, and I want to speak to the out-and-out -out person that doesn't want anything to do with the church. So um, that's my privilege and that's what I do for a job. Uh, praise the Lord, I get paid to do that, which is... Um, which I, would, I think I would do if I wasn't anyway. So Awesome. Yeah. What are some of the challenges that perhaps we can pray for uh, for you in that? Um, it is really spiritually dry in Australia at the moment and our young people particularly, it, young people don't not believe there's a God. Mm. They just don't care. And I think that's a real spiritual thing that's going on that we need to try and soften the hard hearts of our young people because in years gone by you know we just people would naturally turn up to church they don't want anything to do with it not because they don't believe that there's a god they just don't care and mm. there's far more things like facebook and tiktok and i'm learning all of them now <laughs> i'm so good but um yeah that would TikTok be is, okay. yeah oh, i'll explain it later uh, <laughs> i need to get into that <laughs> Uh, yeah, so okay. that would be, yeah, to break down that um, cool. hard-heartedness. All right, and maybe final question. Tell us a little bit about your family. Uh, okay, I'm married to Rachel. We are having our 22nd anniversary in January. Wow. We have four kids. Uh, Chloe is getting married in January. Yep, that's scary. <laughs> uh, uh, Josiah is uh, 17. Uh, Abigail is nearly 16 and Noah is nearly 12. So Beautiful. Yeah, so they, right. the, apart from Chloe who's finished now, but they all go to my school as well. Oh, so, wow, there you go. So, um, yeah, they get to see <laughs> me a lot. So. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, well, maybe I'll pray for you and then I'll hand over to you. Thank you. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending us Cameron. And, uh, yeah, Father, we thank you for his passion to share you with younger people. Um, yeah, Lord, we pray for our country. We pray for our young people who, um, yeah, need to know you. Um, Father, we pray that, uh, yeah, that you would uh, reignite and revive um, this uh, spiritually dry land, uh, that, God, that you would uh, use us, that, Father, we would partner with you in reaching out uh, to young people. And, Father, we thank you for people like Joe and for Cameron uh, who are doing just that and who are very passionate about it. Uh, Father, we thank you that um, not only do they see that as their privilege and their opportunity to do that, um, but they see it as, um, yeah, just something where they can serve you with wholeheartedly. And so, Father, yeah, we want to thank you for these people, uh, for Cameron, for Joe, and Father, we pray that uh, yeah, you would help Cameron now to speak to us. Lord, we pray that we would have hearts that are open and ready to receive uh, what you have for us today. And so, God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Cameron. All right. Uh, now, Joe said I'm allowed to speak for up to two hours. Is that right? 
Praise the Lord. Well done. That's what I was waiting for. Uh, now, uh, I hope not to be speaking for that long. Um, I'm uh, just joking. I won't be talking for anywhere near that. Um, I, I, I hear that recently you've been looking in the book of Daniel and, um, and this idea of work and how that, how that applies. And, and funnily enough, um, when Joe spoke to me about uh, coming here, it was, it was actually uh, unique timing, uh, God's timing maybe, uh, that I was speaking in my school at the time uh, with one of our year groups uh, through the book of Daniel and part of it was this idea of uh, what is it like to to work wholeheartedly even in a situation like that um, and and so it was it was good and I, I said to Joe do you want me to stay in Daniel or and he said as Joe normally does, do what you like, and I went, okay, I'm going to just speak weirdly then. Uh, but no, I decided that, well, let's jump it forward and have a look in the New Testament. If you've got Bibles, great, uh, or if you've got it on an app, uh, open it up with me. If you don't want to, you can just listen to my dulcet tones from the front. Uh, I'm looking at uh, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, beginning at verse 22 and just going into chapter 4, verse 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there's no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Uh, today I'm going to, uh, well, I sort of already did introduce you to my family, but I want to talk to you about two family members in particular. One uh, is my youngest son and, uh, and to my mum. Two different stories interlinked to this. And uh, if, if you are a person that has children or if you were ever a child yourself, which I'm assuming that'll be 100% in the room, uh, we all know that of this phenomenon. And, and Noah is my absolute quintessential example of this. If it is a Saturday or a Sunday or any day of a holiday... It does not matter what time I put Noah to bed the night before, he is up before the sun the next morning watching TV or something. I do not have to wake him up. I do not have to encourage him. In fact, quite often, if I get out of bed early, if I'm going to walk the dog or something, I come out and go, what are you doing up so early? Um just watching this, and he'll be watching How to Train Your Dragon, which is his favourite show at the moment. And I go, why, just stay in bed. You can stay in bed today. You don't have to get up early today. And he's out of bed every holiday. It's phenomenal. Every Saturday, every Sunday, it's like he's got this switch that just turns to being able to get out of bed early. Now, when it comes to Monday to Friday during the 40 weeks of a school year, Noah is a little different. It is amazing because I can be out of bed. We've got our own coffee machine at home. I can tell you it's as loud as anything, like we grind the coffee. We, we're coffee snobs, but you know we, we do all of that really loud. We go in there, we wake him up, and, and he's like, oh, I can't get out of bed. 
I'm so tired. I might have to stay home. Can I just stay home today? I'm so tired. Now, that's my son. And I've got to say, it's actually probably a bit over-dramatised for him. But essentially, some of us have exactly that same attitude to work. It's hard. We don't want to be there. It's like, oh, Monday-itis. It's a thing. Do you know that doctors, the two most common days that people see the doctor, Monday and Friday, yeah, long weekend. <laughs> Go in there, get some dodgy, uh, you know, oh, oh. <coughs> yeah, I've never done that before. <laughs> uh, but that, that is Noah's attitude to school and it's a lot of people's attitude to work. Now I want to tell you about my mum. Now my mum is, uh, I, I was just working it out as I got here, uh, she is 76 years of age. She has been retired for some time and she used to work for the Department of Agriculture and uh, what she was was a, uh, it, it was called a research librarian technician, something like that. What it was, was prior to the internet, uh, somebody from the Department of Agriculture would ring up her department, they would say to them, this is the disease that we've found in an avocado in this uh, part of the country, we're trying to work out what it is, how do we deal with it, what do we do, all of that. So then my mum would go to all the resources of the, you know, like Department of Ag and the CSIRO and places like that and would find the answer. She would then, uh, you know, fax, <laughs> brand new invention then, uh, fax over to them all of the details of how they fix it or what they do. My mum, uh, before she was the boss, uh, worked for probably about 10, maybe a few more years uh, for this man named Des. Now, Des and his wife were good friends with my mum and dad, and we got to know them quite well. My mum and my dad were both Christians. Des was not. His wife, Trudy, was. Mum was never backwards in coming forwards about her faith in Jesus, but she was always probably like some of us in the room, a bit awkward about, what do I say? I don't know how to actually convince someone about Jesus, but... She occasionally threw in something, you know, if Des's son was feeling sick, she'd go, well, I'll pray for him. And that's all she'd say. She wouldn't force the conversation. She wasn't one of those, you know, real get-in-your-face type Christians. She would just say that and leave it alone. Four to five years later, uh, my mum, uh, we were at church together and uh, a friend of ours said, I've got some good news. And we were just thinking, some, you know, well, what is it, something to do with her family? She said... Des became a Christian just yesterday. And, and my mum nearly fell off the chair going, why, why, what happened? What, you know, what was, what, uh, she's discounting the fact that the, you know, the Holy Spirit draws you to himself. You can't really resist it. But she was, she was quite confused as to what had happened. And apparently when Des gave his life to the Lord, he referenced my mum. And it wasn't that my mum was the most godly human being he'd ever seen. But he was actually impressed that this lady of faith would work like she did. My mum wasn't a, a workaholic. She worked hard, but she wasn't a workaholic. She would come home from work. She would be present with us. She didn't have her mind on her job. She was very good. She was a great mum. But a man could see the difference between her and everyone else he worked with and realise there was something different about her. You see, there's the knowers of the world who don't use work as worship of their God and there's people like my mum who do. So I want to ask this question. I'm going to ask this question a number of times. But the question is this. 
how would, would people know that you follow Jesus by the way that you work? Would they know it? Got one final uh, example before we dive into Colossians. I don't know if anyone in here likes reality TV. Does anyone? Does anyone? Oh, shame. Don't put your hand up. Don't. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't. Just pretend you don't. <laughs> I'm about to belittle it. But uh, no, uh, no, most reality TV, I actually can't stand. I don't like reality TV on the, on the whole. But there is one reality TV show that I love. No, not The Bachelor. No. Definitely not Love Island. Um, look, the, most, of the, most of the cases of reality TV, it's unreal reality TV because they, they engineer a lot of what happens in it to make it more dramatic. But the one that I do love, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen it, Dead Set, the best show on TV, The Biggest Loser. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, how fun it is to watch, I'm going to say this very carefully, (laughs) well-eaten people get yelled at by somebody as they scream and try and push them up the sand dunes of some uh, land that seems to be hotter than the sun as they run up it. And you watch them scream, I can't do it, I can't do it. And they're crying, I'm sitting there going, yes, yell more, yell more. And, and like I love the fact that you can just watch these poor, poor human beings. Like if you're there and you're fit, it's probably going to hurt. And so if you're not fit and you've just been eating cheeseburgers and fries and milkshakes for breakfast, like that's going to be a tough couple of weeks as you get into the pattern of it. The one bit that I actually really do like about um, Biggest Loser is that at some point, it's, it's usually about four or five weeks into the show, they do this. They do all of these tests on them. They do like the fat skin tests on their arms and their backs and all of that sort of stuff. They take their blood to see their blood. Um, it's not just complete fat that's running through there. And, and you know, they, they do a whole heap of different things. Uh, and then they, uh, then they sit them down with a doctor. And the doctor says, young man, your age physically, uh, like you were born 28 years ago. But the statistics we have taken and all of the readings that we have declare that you are in your late 60s. And in fact, I would say, if you keep living the way that you're living, that you have probably got two years to live. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. That whole show changes. So you go from... Uh, the Commando or Michelle Bridges or whoever it is that's yelling and screaming at these large people to lose weight to people going, I want to be there for my son. I don't want to die. I'm too young. I don't want to live like this anymore. And see, all of a sudden, you go from an outside external force pushing them to an internal motivation an internal motivation that says, I have to do this because I can see just how bad the consequences are and I don't want to be like that anymore. And see, after that point in time, anyone who leaves The Biggest Loser show does really well even if they don't stay on the show because they really go home with this complete change of mindset of wanting to change. Prior to that, they don't do so well. And, and it's a phenomenon that they've, they've done the studies on it that everyone that goes off past that episode where they get told how old they are. And you're thinking to yourself, how on earth does that have anything to do with what you're talking about today? Well, that's a great question and I'm glad you asked it. I'm just about to answer that for you. 
See, for, for us as believers, you can have an external motivator to work well, to do anything well, to be a good husband, to be a good son, daughter, mother, sister, workmate, member of the band, sound crew, people that are outside doing stuff with the kids. It doesn't matter what we put into that sentence. If you have an outside motivator to it, you'll do it for as long as you feel that that outside motivation will continue. Just ask anyone in the room that's ever had a job how hard you work when the boss is looking. Like, it, it's even funny now that we even include it in movies that people, like, send around a quick email. Here she comes. Everyone, pretend you're working. And so everyone's like, mm -hmm. yes, oh, wow. <laughs> Off she goes, and back to the chit-chat they go. As soon as the boss leaves, as soon as the external motivation leaves, you refer it back to whatever you want to do. You see, even here, this, this, this is great. Or, or me, if they receive praise, ex like external praise, wow, you sang so well. Gosh, your drumming is so good. Me yeah. I appreciate it. Well done. Well done. You, uh, you, when you get external motivation, that builds you up. And so every time that I speak at anything, whether it's at school or, or, or at churches around the country, and I hear people come up and go, wow, that was so great. It goes, yes, I want to do this more because I love hearing that. You start criticizing me every time. Like if, if in my head I went, oh, the last time I came, oh, man. 45 people came up to me and said, that was rubbish. I'd be like, Joe would ask me to come. I'd be like, no chance, my friend. I was scared last time and now I'm even worse. Because that's an external motivator. And you can be externally motivated at work. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. See, you have to have an attitude in everything that we do. Of verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Uh, and it, it sort of, uh, it, it hits me every time, whenever I think about Jesus and the cross. Imagine if Jesus was half-hearted. Imagine if at all his ministry on the earth if when he walked past somebody and they called out, Lord, help me, help me, I'm lost, I'm blind, I'm sick, I'm outcast. If he went, too tired, oh, bad luck. Imagine if Jesus had done that. Imagine if Jesus decided, nope, that's too hard for me to do. I'm not going to do it. We would all still be lost now. Every one of us. And it wouldn't matter what I'm saying right now, if that transaction didn't occur, if Jesus didn't submit himself to God's will wholeheartedly to take on your sin and my sin on the cross, then none of this matters. See, I think we work really well with outside, external motivators. But like my talk about The Biggest Loser, you have to switch it. 
you can't just do things when the boss's eye is on you. You see, in Colossae, where this letter was written to, there was a whole heap of people. We don't actually know what it is, but we know that there was false teaching going on in the church. It had filtered its way in. There's a, there's a couple of references to it, particularly in chapter 2. And so in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul does this entire section just on understanding your right relationship with God. And I've got to say, sometimes we become a little bit lazy about that. I quite often use the example of a child. If a child who was two, if any of you've got children who are two, they should be about this big, right? About that big somewhere, depending on how tall they are, somewhere there. But if my 17-year-old son, who stands about here, if he was this tall, we would say there's something wrong with him. There is. If he was this tall, there's something wrong with him at 17. And at 45, and at 75, there is something wrong if you don't proceed beyond this. But, I have to ask myself this question, and maybe, and I hope that you ask this of yourself. Are you growing up in your faith? Are you growing up? Like if I went back 12 months and went, let's have a look at you now compared to then. Have you grown further in love with Jesus? Or are you pretty much the same? What happens if I went back five years and I went, hmm, wow, you're pretty much the same there too. Or 10 or 15, depending on how long you've believed in Jesus as your saviour. Have you grown up? Or are you like that child? That 17-year-old child? See, somehow we have this great fervour for our relationship with Jesus. We love Him and we come to know the Lord and we're so profoundly impacted by everything He's doing in our life or has done in our life to forgive us of the sin that we deserve to have the punishment for. And then not long after, status quo, it just stays the same. See, Paul in the first two chapters is going, understand, you came to Christ this way. Live this way because of these understandings that you had when you first believed. See, you weren't like that once, but now you are. Now, in being like that now, because God has called you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, grow up. Don't stay the same age. Grow up in your faith. Read the Bible more. Pray more. Worship God more. Don't go, hmm, uh, you know what, I attend church, I turn up early, I sit there and I pray and I close my eyes and sometimes in the songs I might put my hands up. It's fantastic. But if you're the same and not growing closer into Jesus, then your life will be continually an external motivator. You'll continue to do it and you'll fall into the patterns of the world. You see, when, when Paul's writing this, the reason I want you to understand this first, before I even touch on work is because if you don't understand the why, 
doing the what means nothing. It's just a performing little puppy dog who can learn to do tricks. Because you'll do it when it's easy to do or when there's motivation to do it. See, having your faith ground in Jesus and, and, and continually, even when, you know, when you, those times in your life, all of us do, where, where there's sin in your life, where you start to go, you know what, I know that there's this sin in my life. And you need to go and speak to people like Joe or someone that you trust in the Lord and say to them, this sin has been in my life for so long and I know that I need to get rid of it. That is growing up. Grow up in your faith so you have a faith that is continually going, yes, I fall, but each time I want to press into God because God's called me out of, his, out of darkness into his wonderful life. And he sent his son on that for me. So anything I can do for him is pure joy. I can assure you, being a chaplain in a school is not a big paying ticket. I don't do it for the money. I love, I love seeing young people who at one point in my class go, I don't believe any of this, I don't want to talk about it. And then one day, somehow God uses his Holy Spirit and some word that you haven't even prepared to say, somehow goes bang and they go, oh, there might be something to this Jesus thing. It's fantastic. And see, then the temptation might come that you go, well, it's easy for people like Joe and Cameron. They've got full-time Christian roles. They're full-time Christians. They're professionals. Easy to work for the Lord when you're in the church. That's easy. No, it's not. There's just as much temptation, and in fact, I've got to tell you, probably more temptation not to than what some of you guys face. You see, once he's done this thing for two chapters, he's laboured it, laboured it, laboured it. You've got to remember in those days, it's not like me just email done. He's writing a letter to a church. He's Jewish in his heritage. So Jewish people, when they write like a scroll of any of the Old Testament or writing a letter in this one, they didn't get white out and go, whoops, wrote the wrong word. Start again. So for two chapters of what we what we say two chapters, but for this long portion, he just keeps drilling it into them. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are not. This is who you are. This is what you are to believe. This is what you're not to believe. And he goes on and on and on and on. And then we get to chapter three and then he goes... Now, here's how you live it out. Do this. And see, sometimes we can be tempted to do work, and we get to this bit and we go, ooh, slaves obey your earthly masters. Okay, I'm going to do it. Bang, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. But we don't get the first two chapters of Colossians where it says, this is who you are. You must be this first. Do this. Concentrate on this. Be this person. Understand these truths. Live this life. Then live it out like this. And so for uh, Paul, as he instructs these Colossians, again, you've got to remember, like, I can't even tell you how long this church has been around, but the church of Jesus has been around for nearly 2,000 years or thereabouts. These guys... Their elders were probably people that had been Christians for maybe months. So they were newborn Christians, so to speak, and they were elders of the church. 
That's why he labours it to them to go, understand this, know this, be this. And then he flicks this here to the household. Now, there's a whole lot there that I'd love to speak to you about, you know, children obeying your parents because this is pleasing for the Lord because I, <laughs> I love that one. But, uh, but I won't talk about that. We'll just talk about, he's talking about the entire household and he does, he talks about husbands and wives and children and parents and all of that. And then he talks about slaves. Now, it, it, in those days, uh, slavery was a common thing, a normal thing. It uh, doesn't have quite the same connotations to the ones that we might think of now. But at the same time, it was a normal part of life then. And in fact, in the Colossian church, they would assume that there was about two-thirds of them were in a slave position at this time. So a lot of them understood this. So when he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and curry their favour, but sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. We just take that and go, yeah, that's what you should do. But in those days... A slave was valueless. You had no right to not obey your, your, your person that was in charge of the household, the, the, the father. You had no right. In fact, worse than that, you would be up way before them, maybe up with Noah watching the TV, but no, you'd be up way earlier than them. You would work before they got up to prepare everything for them. Then you would work all day in their fields or whatever it was that they had, and then you would prepare meals for them at night, and then they would go to bed, then you would clean the house, then you would go to bed. You had no rights, none at all. And in fact, when Jesus who shows that he to be the slave of all and he gets down and he washes the disciples' feet. That was the lowest of the low slave got to do that. You had no rights whatsoever. You had no say. You couldn't choose to obey your, parent, uh, your, your uh, master. You had to. You didn't have the option because they could either flog you or kill you. Thankfully, our workplace laws have done away with that. Although I'm sure some of you have had bosses in the past that feels a little bit like they do that to you. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Whatever you do, work with all your heart, since you will, know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Now I wonder, if you knew God was going to watch you, Come to your work, be you the husband that you are, the wife that you are, the friend that you are. If God was going to follow you around during the day, what might you be like? I mean, really, if God was going to follow you around during the day, If God was going to know the thoughts that you have. If God was going to see the words that you say to people. The disrespect you show to your boss. Uh, maybe you're at uni uh, as studying or school or something. The way that you know, exam well, the assignment's due on Friday. <laughs> I'll start at Thursday night. If God was to follow you around and watch your effort, what would he say? Would people know that you follow Jesus? I think for myself... If I was to know that God was going to follow me around, I'll be straight up honest, there'd be parts of my life I'd be so ashamed that he would watch. That's not because I'm hideously more sinful than anyone in this room. It's just I know that there are parts of my life that I don't submit to God. 
And I, I quite often use this example in, in my schools. I say, what would it be like if we followed you around with a camera to see what you, you say and do about other people? Are the words you might say about your friends. Or maybe if we could put a probe on your brain and understand the thoughts that you have. And then I say this to kids. I've got a friend who runs a computer program for a very big organisation. And what he can do, no matter whether you throw your computer on a fire or whatever you do, throw it in the, in the ocean... He can reverse the keystrokes to watch everything you've ever been on, on your computer. And I say to my students, how many of you would be willing to allow Mr. Watt to get him to look at what you've been looking at on your iPads? I've never had a student put their hand up, funnily enough. They're always a little nervous to go, oh dear. And I said to them one day, I said, imagine if I had now ring your parents and say, look, I'm only going to produce it and it'll just be for you as parents. How many of your parents would want me to do it? And they're all like, yeah, mine would. <laughs> but imagine if people knew who we really are. And it may not be. Individual issues would be, vary across the room. But what I love about this is that then Paul switches to this really positive instructional thing after that. Verses 2 to 6, probably some of the most famous verses uh, in the New Testament. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Does that sound like you? Would people that are sitting near you describe you like that? Would your employer know that that's you? Would your workmates, would your wife, would your husband, would your children, would your parents... Are you devoted to prayer? Are you praying God will open a door for the message that you hold? Are you really wise how you act towards outsiders and have you always got an answer for the hope that you have? Is that how people would describe you? Because we can, we can, in work, we can veer into one of two things. You can either be lazy and always looking for a way out of doing what you, what you need to do. My 17-year-old uh, really struggles at school. And he'll do anything to avoid work at school. He'll put off assignments. He'll take a zero because he's just so unmotivated by it. And, and then on the other hand, my daughter who's getting married, you know, if there was an assignment for biology or chemistry or whatever subject she was doing, it would be due in two weeks' time. She would have submitted it a week ago. 
Like she is that, she's just so focused in on motivation. On, but to my older daughter, which sounds like it's really promising because we can go, oh, well, that's, that's what you should be like. But my older daughter became a workaholic. And so she thought that that was what was showing God well was to overwork. So my son's underworking, my daughter's overworking. I wish I could find the balance here for both of them. Because you can be tempted. You can be very tempted. I, I, I have students who are literally in year two and three, I don't deal with junior school, but two and three, who are attending five days a week of tutoring. And I'm like, this kid is eight. And, and I don't know, maybe you know people that have done this. But I'm like, he's eight. What's he got to know? A, B, C, D, E, F, G... Two plus two is four. Australia is it that shape? Yep, Tasmania is part of it. Like, like, what do you have to know at eight that requires five days? That's not godly. I don't want to be rude to anyone in here that believes that might be, but that's not godly. That is that is overworking. But then when, when I consider some of the students in, I, they're doing their HSC like right now. Like literally this is the weeks of the HSC. They've just done their two English papers. I had a student and it was the day of the first English paper and I walked out to him and I said, hey, how are you going? You all right? And he's going, yes, sweet as. And I went, all right, are you ready for it? And he goes, yeah. Yep, bro, I'm ready. I said, why are you calling me bro for? <laughs> I'm not your mate, okay? <laughs> uh, but anyhow, he, and I said, how have you constructed your, your study timetable through the holidays and uh, these last few weeks? Nope. <laughs> have you done any study? Nope. Why not? Better things to do. Okay, so you're doing your HSC and you've got some better things. What are the better things to do here? I mean, if you're saying to me, praying to the Lord, I'm going to be high-fiving you, but I doubt that's what you're going to be saying you were doing. That's not godly. That's not working at it with all your heart to honour God. But neither is the other. See, the, the right balance of work where we can worship God with our work is to say it is work. It is something God's given you. Work at it with all your heart, but also know that that is not who you are. You are chapter 1 and 2 of Colossians. You've been redeemed by the cross. God does not, when he redeems you to himself, go, wow, what can I use up the next 55 years of their life with before I call them back to myself? I know, I'll make them a garbage collector for Blacktown Council. Great, that'd be good. Sorry if there's any garbage collectors in the room, but it's not what he does. He says, everything you do, worship me in it. When you come to church, it's very easy to go, Father, we praise you, we love you, we think that you're awesome. He wants that attitude in your workplace. He wants you there working hard, but he doesn't want you to make it a God. It's not a God. It will never satisfy you as a God. It's work. If you are over-committed to work, then you are under-committed to God. 
we have to put it in perspective of knowing who we are and more than that, whose we are. Jesus did not redeem you to be slack at work or to be a workaholic. He said, go in there. Be my representative. Don't let anyone have a reason to put you down because you're a Christian. I worked with a man when I was an accountant. I worked with a man who was... His name was Jono, sorry. He genuinely was Jono. We went to a Chinese restaurant. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) A lot of links, but I don't mean that. (laughs) Went to a Chinese restaurant in Castle Hill. Do you live in Castle Hill? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I went with him. Okay, no. I went to a Chinese restaurant and, and all of us accountants were sitting around there and I don't know if you know what these things are, uh, a lazy Susan, that's what we call them. And a lazy Susan is one of those spinny tables in the middle where you can just put like the you know, Chinese food there and there's another one there, there, there and you can just spin it to get to the one you want to and you just put a bit on your plate and then you can spin it. Oh, I like some of that. And then, but... My friend, jo- not this Jono, I promise, is not this Jono. He was a devout Christian. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's where, here's where the, <laughs> I'm feeling really bad and small here. Uh, uh, they decided, uh, the other accountants, now I, I, I very much laughed at it, but probably shouldn't have laughed at it. They decided to call the thing in the middle, which we call a lazy Susan, they called it a lazy Jono. (laughs) Because my friend who said that he was a believer in Jesus, that was a bad image that he showed people. He was lazy at work. And they knew he was a Christian because he was always spruiking how he went to church and how great it was and, oh, the worship session on Sunday, oh, my goodness, it went on for an hour. It was fantastic. And I was like, great, work. Work in, (laughs) you've got this job to do. Now show what that means, that you will live that out as a believer amongst your friends, amongst your colleagues, in your house. And that's not the image of a Christian in work. See, I don't, I don't know, I don't know where you're at. You mightn't have a job, you might, you might be retired, you might be at uni, you might be a stay-at-home mum, stay-at-home dad, you could be anywhere along any spectrum whatsoever. But if you read these words correctly, every part of your life is either worshipping God or not. There's, there's not an in-between ground here. There's not a grey area. You're either worshipping God in the way that you work You're either worshipping God in the way that you're a dad or a brother or a sister or a mum or a cousin or a friend or a workmate or a boss or you're not. There's no two ways around it. But what I don't want you to do is this. You walk out from here and go, right, that's it. I'm going to work harder, I've got to work harder, I've got to get my assignments done earlier and I've got to make sure I turn up, I'm meant to be at church at 10.15, I'm going to get there at 10 past 10 and make sure I'm ready because that shows worship of God. No, that's external motivation. Understand who you are in God. Recognise what He did for you. Worship him in your life. Being a follower of Jesus will naturally happen and worship in your work. 
Don't be externally motivated. Don't walk out of here going, right, that's it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to stop. Or you, you can do it with anything. I'm going to stop eating all those bad food. I'm going to be just, just going to eat well and exercise every day. That lasts for two days. Then you'll go back to what's comfortable. In fact, a friend of mine, he's one of the trainers over here, over the road at, at Virgin Active. He used to own his own gym down in Parramatta, but they extended the railway station, so he had to sell, and so he's one of the lead trainers over here. Mal told me that what he used to have to do was employ people for the first six weeks of the year. Why do you reckon? New Year's resolutions, that's right, yeah. yeah. I'm going to get fit this year, I'm going to join the gym and I'm going to go. They literally did. They, for six weeks, they employed casual staff, put on an extra three or four staff members just for the first six weeks and then they could get rid of them because they didn't want to employ them because they didn't, oh, look at all these people that are coming to our gym. It was only going to last for six weeks. And, and usually a lot less than that. But usually they put on six weeks of, of casual staff. And then they were all done. And then the people that are actually going to the gym continue going to the gym. And the people that are just there for their New Year's resolutions have just wasted $800 on a gym membership. Sorry for the people in the room that have done that before. Uh, so don't be externally motivated because you will be like the New Year's resolution that doesn't mean anything to you. Know Colossians 1 and 2. This is who you are. Know what God has done for you. The amazing salvation work he did in Jesus. And then out of that, live it. Day in, day out. To the day you die or the day he calls you home. Don't be embarrassed about your life. Don't be embarrassed when God says, so what did you do with this salvation that I gave you? Oh, I thought you wanted me to work really hard, really, 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 really hard. No, 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 I didn't give you the message to work really hard. I gave you the message to worship me in doing it. I want to leave you with uh, these words again. And I want to encourage you with them. Devote yourself to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. And I'm praying for you that God may open a door for the message that you have. That you will proclaim the mystery of Christ. And pray that you will proclaim it clearly as you should. And that you will be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. And that you will make the most of every opportunity. That your conversation will be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt. So that you all may know an answer to give everyone. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us so infinitely and displayed so clearly in the death and resurrection of your son Jesus. Father, we know that sometimes we separate our relationship with Jesus and our work or our uni, or all the roles that we take on. But Father, we pray that you would use them, that we would worship you in them, and that you would receive all the glory, the honour and the praise that you deserve. Father, on behalf of the people in this room, for those that have messed it up one way or the other, we pray for forgiveness and for a clarity of understanding who we are, so that when we work, when we fulfill the roles that you have for us, whilst we still have breath in our lungs, would they be used to worship you? In Jesus' name.
Amen.